Welcome to the Dropship Podcast, where you'll learn how to build and grow a high-ticket dropshipping business and hear stories from successful e-commerce entrepreneurs. Let's kick this thing off. So this is part two of the replay on niche selection, market selection. If you haven't listened to part one, go back to the last episode where you will hear the first half of this. This is the second half. You can find all of these old podcasts from the Patreon feed inside the members area of our course if you are an elite member. If you're wondering, how, how do I just pick these products? Uh, podcasts are great, but I'm ready to jump in. Just head to dropshipbreakthrough.com forward slash five. And in five days, you'll find the person you're going to sell to the products you're going to sell them and the suppliers where you're going to find the suppliers for these products. Then you'll be able to shoot us an email and say, Hey, what do you think of this industry? Is this somewhere I should go here? I've narrowed it down to these three things. Steer me in the right direction, John and Ben, and we'll be happy to help you know which direction to go to. So in five days or less, you're going to know exactly what you're going to sell, who you're going to sell to and what your next steps are. Dropshipbreakthrough.com forward slash five, but let's jump right back into the second half of this show. So how, how do you move on from there, right? So you, you've, you've got a bunch of ideas. How do you go validate your ideas, John? What is your first step? Like I've got, I've got five ideas, pellet grills, 3D printers, lights, e-bikes. Uh, and, and you're just like, man, I, w- I want to go figure out which one of these I should do. Where, where do you go first? Uh, well, I'll, I'll go first. I'll have a look. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm so of those examples you just picked, I'm, I'm going to say, well, like I said, I come up with my list based on the on the people first. But if, if if I was just to be given a list like that from somebody, I'd be looking at firstly who who's the who in those markets. Is there an identifiable like a single who for those things, right? So lights, for example, there isn't. So that would be off my list straight away. It wouldn't be there. Um, some of those other ideas that you just listed, there might be a single one. But like even let's say within um, e-bikes. You know, picking e-bikes in as, as an example, uh, there's actually multiple who's in there, right? Um, so I might say, yeah, okay, that idea is good, but I'm seeing multiple who's. They're still identifiable. Like I can identify particular interests that maybe people use those products for or reasons that they use them that I can target. And so I'm just going to pick one of those. I'm going to pick one of those, right? And that's going to be that's going to be the idea. And then once I've got that sort of locked away in my mind and I'm happy with the who bit of it, and then I've got a readily identifiable group of people that share the same interest or passion that I'm going to go to, I'm going to go through a series of other um, criteria that have to do with the rest of the market um, and the nature of the products themselves, you know, just simple things like, you know, price, is it drop shippable? What's the shipping going to look like, you know, but I'm also looking at what's the, um, you know, what's the revenue opportunities, recurring revenue opportunities, um, private label opportunities. So there's a range of criteria there that I sort of step through one by one. And like, I'll do this in a spreadsheet, right? And I'll just tick boxes in a spreadsheet or I'll write some notes about each of those points. And so if I've got, you know, four or five ideas that I want to shortlist. I'm literally going through and ticking all these boxes, making some notes and then coming back at the end and comparing them all and saying, what ticks the most boxes for me, you know, on that series of criteria. And so you just mentioned a bunch, like do any of those hold more weight than others? Cause for me, like what stands out to me, like 
we, we build up this list, right? Market saturation, SEO opportunity, revenue opportunities, private label, seasonal. Is it obviously drop shippable? Identifying the suppliers. Do I give a shit about it? Is the item complicated? Freight versus ground shipping. The who, the avatars that I like to build in my businesses. Like, um, yep. which one of those jumps out to you of like, if it, like, which, so you're doing a checkbox. Not everything is worth one, right? Like you're not adding it up and yeah. saying this one scored a 10, this one scored a six. Some of those are worth more. And, and for me, it's SEO. So I'm curious what it is for you where you like, you you say, if there's a real opportunity in one of these, you're, you're more excited about it. Uh, certainly, um, market saturation or competition, uh, is a big one for me. I want to know. Because in, in terms of when I'm shortlisting ideas, particularly when I'm trying to narrow down a small group of ideas to one um, competition, which kind of does lead a bit into SEO opportunity, right? Because your SEO opportunity is kind of determined a bit by what the competition's doing um, and how much of it there is and all of that sort of thing. But yeah, I'm looking at the competition um, because you're going to see in every, every idea, there's going to be different levels of competition, different quality of competition. Um, and so that really is a determining factor on how, not necessarily on your overall chances of success in the longer term, um, because I think if you if you take the right approach, you can overcome a lot of competition in, in any market, but it certainly will determine how quickly you start, right? How quickly you make progress will be determined 100% by what's happening in your market from a competitive perspective, what the quality of it is, how your marketing stacks up against theirs um, and what opportunities lie there. So I look very much at that um, in, in the beginning. Um, uh, revenue, thinking about recurring revenue is a big one for me as well. Uh, and, and there's probably a couple of things that lump in there from that list you just ran through. So like recurring revenue, private label opportunities kind of comes into it. Um, but I want to say that I can identify a pathway to sell those people that my my ideal avatar, whatever you want to call it, multiple times. I want to know that I can make multiple sales to the same person over time. Um, because the reality is, right, there's only three ways you can grow any business. And I mean, you know, Jay Abrahams made famously talks about this stuff, right? Going back from the 70s, right? You can get more first-time customers. You can increase your average order value or you can increase your rate of repeat business. That's it. That's the only way you can grow any business on this planet, right? So the problem most people when they start a high ticket store get to is they can only do the first one, get more first time customers, right? Which you get by growing your traffic or increasing your conversion rate, right? And that's fine, but you only grow in a linear way if you do that. And at some point you hit the limit of that. There is a, there's a hard limit in every market to how much first time customers you can get. And it's a problem because the nature of high ticket products tends to be that for each product type, people are only buying it once every five years, something like that. I mean, if you're talking about a $3,000 product, people aren't buying the same $3,000 product every six months, right? And they're not buying two or three of them at the same time. Sometimes they are. If you've got B2B particularly, you'll get that. But on average, they're not, right? So automatically there, when most people start a site that's just focused on one type of high ticket product, they cut off the second and third ways of growing their business. They have no plan for that. Um, and it kind of ignores, like particularly in e-commerce, like all those e-commerce businesses that people know about that we idolize, that we say they're fantastic businesses, they all have recurring revenue. Amazon would be bankrupt without recurring revenue, right? It would've been, they, would, they wouldn't be who they are, but even smaller ones, you know, um, 
they all have recurring revenue built in. So this is really important. Uh, and it's, it's totally doable for high ticket sites as well. Um, and, and if you've picked that the who properly, as, as you've ta- as we both talked about, you should have those opportunities kind of built in, but I like to tick the box. I like to see, um, I like to envision what that's going to look like. Um, so I want to know that, yes, there's the core products there, the core high ticket products, but what are the other products that that person wants to buy? Um, and can I see, can I, can I list out what those might be? I know there's um, some then, people listening just on the names that I've seen in there who are screaming right now, shut up. They only buy one of my products uh, and I don't want to out anybody. Everybody likes to keep their niche secret and their market secret. So if you feel comfortable and you want us to talk about you, let us know. And like, I'm happy to pull up anybody's site who's listening to this and, and explain all of these points in, in greater detail because uh, it's so much easier when we have something to talk about, right? And even if yeah. it was our own, even if we picked our own and we built like an e-bike store or something, um, we're only going to be able to talk about ours. And it, it, it's difficult to give people ideas in theirs. And like, I want to help everyone listening to this. And so if you're willing to come forward and you're like, yeah, here's my URL, here's the stuff I sell, what are you talking about? I can't do X, Y, or Z. John and I would happily well, uh, look, show you Well, look, you I mean, here's, here's, a, here's a quick example. It's one I use a lot. That's why it comes to mind, right? So I'm a surfer. I'm into surfing, right? So thinking about the way people typically teach the, 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 the niche selection thing, it would be, well, you want to sell surfboards, right? That's the high ticket product in that space, right? It's, you know, $1,000 surfboards or, or plus, right? So that's what you want to be selling. And you, you want to have a surfboard store, right? And that's the wrong take, right? You want to have a store for surfers, right? So what's the recurring revenue potential there? Well, you know, um, or, or increasing your average order value. So I'm going to sell the surfboard, sure, but I'm also going to sell a range of other things that surfers would buy. So maybe that's, I'm going to sell wetsuits. I'm going to sell the surfboard accessories. I'm going to sell surfboard bags. I mean, all these things can sell for three, $400. I'm going to sell, you know, racks for people to carry their surfboards on a moped or a bike, you know, I mean, racks for them to put in their home on the wall where they can put up all this you know if you're a surfer you've got tons of surfboards you gotta you gotta store them somehow like there's all these things i'm gonna try and sell all of that stuff to the same person either in one order or over time every every couple of months they're coming and buying something else and when you get into the second and third sales which you're mostly going to make via email i.e with no marketing cost it doesn't they don't need to be super high ticket products you're still going to make profit on them right? Because you don't have a cost per acquisition anymore. That's what you lose on the second and third sale. You don't pay to acquire that customer again in the same way you do on your first sale. I'm going to give you another example. I like, because I like to be in my passion, I love digital products and you're going to be able to create your own digital products with a hundred percent profit margin. And here's my example. I own this URL. Uh, so fuck off if you're trying to come after me, I've owned it for three years. So that definitely means I'm going to start it someday. Uh, sup yoga paddleboards.com. It's like a fad. People love doing yoga on their yeah. paddleboards. I can't even stand up on one. No joke. I, uh, I fell over in a kayak once at the dock. I'm positive. I could not stand on a paddleboard. Uh, so I'm probably never going to be this guy, but I own the domain Sup Yoga Paddleboards. If somebody's into Sup Yoga, hit me up. Here's what you can do: you can sell the the paddle like the stand up paddleboard for Sup Yoga. You can sell the mat somebody needs on top of their paddleboard. They're also yogis in their own time, so you can sell all kinds of clothing for them. You can sell all kinds of mats at home. You can sell the blocks. You can sell. Yep. 
your own program. You should build your own program and sell it for $9.99, $99.99 of how they can do their program on a paddleboard. And you, you know what? There's Go on uh, YouTube right now and type in morning yoga for stretching, yoga for fat people, yoga for your butt, yoga for. Just type in yoga for on YouTube and look at all the different programs you can create for your supyogapaddleboard.com site. Um, and then tell me you don't get excited about getting into your own passion or serving that one person who's going to do way more than just uh, go to the lake once a week maybe and do yoga on their paddleboard. There's, they're a human being. They have a whole bunch more interests, and there's a lot more that you can sell them. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a huge one for me. I mean, that, of the criteria, this is a big one. Um, you know, and so uh, because if you can identify those opportunities, right, and, and you can meet th- those three sort of ways to grow a business, then your business can grow in a non-linear fashion. So it can grow exponentially, right? It can, it can have a curve that goes like that. I mean, you can't see what I'm doing. This is a podcast, but <laughs> I always forget this because I'm used stick, to, hockey stick. Uh, yeah, hockey stick, right? Um, rather than just a straight, a straight diagonal line, right? Uh, and that's 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 so that's a big one. For me. It doesn't mean you need to have all of that locked down the minute you launch your site. I just want to know that I can see the pathway to doing it in the beginning, right? I mean, if you're if you're if you're doing this for the first time, right? It you're not going to get all the marketing to do that right, right from the beginning, right? And you don't need to, you just want in the beginning, you at least want to start selling the core products, the core high ticket products, but you want to know that you can bring that stuff in once you start making sales to people on, on sort of your core products. Um, So those are actually, you know, aside from being able to identify the who, the the competition and the, uh, and the revenue opportunity, those are probably actually two of my personal bigger ones. I mean, obviously the products themselves and the nature of the products needs to fit as well. So there might, these are much simpler yes, no ones. Like is, are there actually high ticket products there? I mean, this is high ticket dropshipping. So, you know, I want to see products in the $1,000 plus range, right? So that, that's just a tick box though, really. Um, you know, so that, that's, you've, not all the products that you identify for that, for that who need to be high ticket, but there does need to be sort of core high ticket products. I mean, I'm totally fine with selling four or $500 products alongside those um, or even less, um, but you still got to have that, that important sort of core products you're, you're, you're shaping around um, in, in my opinion anyway. Well, SEO is my jam, dude. I geek out about yeah. SEO on pretty much everything. And so I use uh, like our note here, SEO opportunity to find the market saturation, to find the revenue opportunity, to find the private label opportunities. And, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, let's just use your lights for an example. It's not hard to go find a drop shipping lighting company online. Just, you know, search search for lighting, uh, narrow it down to who's drop shipping. You're going to find a whole bunch of them, right? Uh, I like to sort them by domain authority. If you don't know what that is, go go to the Chrome Web Store. You can literally type that in Chrome Web Store and look for the Moz uh, Chrome extension. Sign up for Moz, add the Chrome extension. It'll give you a little number. The higher the number, the more domain authority they have, the lower the number, the less they have. Uh, And so usually the higher they're getting more organic traffic as well. Uh, Hopefully they're doing SEO as well. I like to look through that. So I know here's the competition I have, uh, a store I'm building right now. The competition that's out there has like a six, a 16. One of the 16s is ranking on page one for a lot of terms. And I don't really know how they're doing that. In fact, I think John works on one of those sites, which is funny. I'm going to, I'm going to have to give him some tips along the way too. Uh, And then, uh, so like I, I saw opportunity. That's how I saw it. I saw people 
selling these things whose websites were kind of clunky. They didn't really have any domain authority. And I saw if I came in and do what I do best, I could outrank them immediately, gobble up all that traffic uh, and be able to come in there. And so I saw revenue opportunity and I didn't see market saturation. Just there wasn't a lot of people and there wasn't a lot of real players there. Uh, And so if you have any confidence in yourself whatsoever, you're also going to go look at those sites that are just kind of clunky and junky and, and they have no real value other than copy paste from a supplier. You should be able to just dominate those. And that's what I look Mm. for. If there's a bunch of people out there who have, you know, and someday we'll do an SEO show so we can walk through all this stuff. But if there's somebody out there who has all of their collection pages built out and all their product pages have unique content and unique images and every single question you could ever imagine around the product has been answered on their blog, I don't know if I want to come into that. Like there's just not a lot of opportunity there. And so that, that, that skunks out the revenue and the SEO opportunity and the market saturation for me. It's just, it's not for me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And look, I mean, I think people, people should expect to hear a lot about SEO from us over the, (laughs) over the course of this podcast, because literally when it comes to traffic and marketing for a high ticket site, this is your single biggest opportunity, right? It's not in paid ads. Yeah. There's money in paid ads, right? For sure, but there's also a limit to where you're going to go with paid ads, and that's the the, the limit of profitability. Um, but SEO, I mean, if, if you know, particularly if you come come and look at it from a competition with other dropshippers' perspective, nobody teaches you to do SEO with these businesses, except for me and Ben. <laughs> so, um, like, so no one's doing it, right? No one's doing, or no one's doing it properly. So. You know, whereas anyone can chuck up Google shopping ads or Google search text ads and, and have them run reasonably well, right? But SEO is 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 the is the is at this point in time, at the point of recording this, it's still the the least touched um, large marketing opportunity for e-commerce businesses. I really want to um, I really want to drill that home, John. I did an SEO presentation at uh, George Bryant's mastermind, who I was a member of. He asked me to present on this, and here's here's three slides. I started it off with to capture the audience, right? So in year one, uh, the first year in business, seven point one percent of users. Uh, so a total, uh, 7,000 users came in year one for zero revenue, right? I came on board the next year and we started doing all the things I love to do. Uh, we did 76,000 users and 854,000 in revenue. And then the next year we did 243,000 users and $2.3 million in revenue. Uh, and I left the company after that. I wish I could see what, what happened after that because it's so exponential. It just keeps growing and growing and the more, more effort you put into it, the more it's going to pay you back. Uh, and so, and that was 43% of users, by the way, in year three, 43% of our traffic was free, uh, for the effort we had put in before and and $2.3 million in revenue of which we paid $0 in ads. Yeah. Yeah, I mean another statistic I'll throw out there. Uh, SEM Rush. This is a this is a few years ago now. SEM Rush crunched the number, the numbers on all of their e-commerce sites that use you run their sites through their tool, right? That use their tool, which is obviously, you know, most large stores at some point or another would have, you know, had an SEM Rush account and would have run their data through there. Um, they found that for e-commerce sites, this is uh 30 something i think it was 36 percent of e-commerce transactions result were as a result of an organic click on an organic search listing three percent were from google ads by comparison three percent and about 3.3 was from social media and you know the largest number was from you know the direct bucket visit so like that was like 46 percent. so obviously those 
direct visits originated as a paid ad or, or an organic click or something like that. But of the directly attributing ones, organic was 10 times larger than paid. 10 times, right, on, on Google. So that that's, gives you a, a bit of an idea about the magnitude of the opportunity there. Well, and you're not constantly paying for it either. You're not constantly paying for it. You if know anybody's I mean? ever tried to target anything except super bottom of the funnel keywords, which is your, your product name, you know, the brand name, product name, uh, God forbid skew. I don't know if anybody actually searches skews. Maybe they do. I don't know. They never did for me. Um, that's where your, your, your money is, right? It's the end of the funnel. And if they don't buy, you better grab their goddamn email. If you've tried to run anything else, like the super generic key, like go right now and try to run an ad with the word e-bike. That's your keyword. Uh, and go write an ad and try to drive traffic to your site. It's not going to convert very well. And you're going to, you're going to go broke trying to capture people at the top of the funnel running ads. Whereas you can rank those things or you can build pages for that. I love best pages versus pages. Anyway, I'm going to go nuts about SEO on some show and I'm just going to give you everything I got (laughs) and hopefully give you a bunch of examples too, because I fucking love SEO. And if any of you want a partner in your business, give me a call. I'll come in, I'll take a chunk of your business and I'll blow you up because I fucking love it. Anyway, uh, this is why I use SEO to like even determine the niche. Because if I go in there and there's just no opportunity, like I said, if I go find three, four, five, six other competitors that I'm going to be competing against and they've done all the hard work, um, I'm going to have a hard time catching up to them because it's such an exponential curve. You can't, when they've been around five, six years and they've done a good job, it's going to take me five, six years to even get where they are today. Um, where I, where I think there's a lot more opportunity out there and that's why I use SEO to gauge almost all of this. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think that's cool. That's a, that's a good perspective on it for sure. What do you, so we have private label opportunities on here. So I've done this. You actually asked me to create some a, a portion of your course on this. Um, yep. Is there anything special you look out for? Because for me, it's it, uh, it it depends on which one you're going to do. And I'm going to put both of these in your course, whether I'm going to do a widget for uh, acquisition of the who and so that I can escalate them to the other products that I sell, um, which I think is super, super easy. Or do I want to sell again? Let's use pellet grills. Do I think I could go to a Chinese manufacturer, um, which totally you can, I don't want to, uh, that sounded like a little bit out of my, out of my zone when I first started for sure. But like Traeger's manufacturer in China reached out to me and they were like, we can just throw your name on this Traeger grill. So it's, it's going to be easier than you think, but where do you, when you're looking at it, what are you looking for, John? Does it need to be small? Does it need to be, you know, a little less complex for you to think about private label as an opportunity? Hey, just want to jump in here real quick and say, if you're loving this show, the number one thing you can do to help us out is simply go to Spotify or iTunes or whatever you're listening on and smash that follow button, that subscribe button and leave us a review. It really does help us reach more people. And if you've got a friend that you know should be listening to this, send the podcast over to them. We'd love to have them join us as well. And real quick, two quick resources I have for you. If you want to join us in our free Facebook group, you can find that at facebook.com slash groups slash dropship tribe, or just search the dropship tribe. And we also have a paid version of this podcast where you can get even more of john and i and longer form content you can find that on patreon at patreon.com slash dropship podcast all right back to the show um yeah i i would probably and i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't rule out the the core products necessarily um but that's less often going to be the option that you're presented with that's actually going to work i mean if, if your core products happen to be fairly simple um, and it's easy to, you know, you know, they're not patented or anything like that, you know, because a lot are, or at least what a lot was of the that ones word, I've John? been involved. Patented, right? Is that a word? So it, 
Well, yeah, of course it is. <laughs> Something's got a patent. That means there's not going to be... Oh, how do you his, say it? It's patent. It's patent over here, I think. So. Yeah, well, you, you guys are uh, secondhand users <laughs> of my language, so you can go fuck off. Um, but but if it's like that, you're not going to find 100 manufacturers in China making that thing, right? Mm. Um, that exact thing. So you're not going to do it. But a lot of products aren't. So there might be an option there for you. But yeah, typically I'm looking at um, those side products that sit next to, like the slightly lower ticket products that sit next to your core product that you can either sell as an upsell or as a bundle or whatever. But also, as you mentioned, yeah, you can also use those cheaper products as front end acquisition tools because you've got a better profit margin on them, right? So you can run ads on them um, and, and not worry so much about the cost per sale that I'm then going to lead people onto my high ticket products from there. Um, so I would usually be thinking about yeah the lower ticket um, products that you're either going to use as an upsell or the entry point to your business, um, and and I mean that's that's sometimes easier as well because you it's going to take less cost investment for you to actually get the things in bulk landed into your country, whereas if you're going to say I'm going to go and brand up my own three thousand dollar product, well you're going to have a chunk of money sunk into that to get it out of China, right? Uh, one and, of the ways you talk about growing your business is upsells, right? Uh, yeah. uh, lifetime value of a customer. And so I love widgets yeah. in the same capacity. If, if, if yeah. e-bikes is something that I was just sold on, um, how hard would it be for me to go to a plastics manufacturer and get uh, something that's going to clip on the bikes to hold their water bottle, something that's going to clip on the bikes to hold their iPhone. Um, I, I would imagine there's quite a few things you can think of that would go on a bike. Uh, you know, I don't think newspaper baskets are a thing anymore, but there's probably a few other things that you could put on a bike um, that would be pretty easy to manufacture and it would probably have low um, MOQ and, and you would be able to simply add these every single time. The, the other places I saw were like, could I come in there and make something that doesn't quite exist yet or it exists, yeah. but it, it it's uh, ridiculous. And it, uh, there's one I can't talk about that I would love to talk about um, where we just saw an opportunity to the process by which you wanted to use one of our best sellers, you needed like seven other products. And so the first thing we did was make a bundle uh, that seemed like a no brainer, but nobody was really doing yep. it of like, you need all of these things. Why not just buy it all in one big bundle? And then at that point, the bundles, we were bundling one thing from one manufacturer, one thing from another manufacturer, one thing from another. And we were like, why don't we just put all this together ourselves? And yes, it took a lot of work, no question. Yeah. Uh, but once yeah. we put that together and we did all the SEO stuff I was talking about before and we owned the keyword, then we just simply put our product right in front of everybody and quickly we were the best seller, like instantly the best seller. Uh, and our margins went from you know 30% or 25% or whatever your dropshipper's doing for you to 80%. Um, yeah. That makes a huge difference in your bottom line. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and and I mean that's that's the that's the power of it I guess is is that the the profit margin goes up. And and even if it's not quite that drastic. I mean if you're somebody who's doing like, you know, uh I don't know, let, let's say you're doing um uh you know, 100 orders a month, let's say in in your high ticket dropshipping business of your main product. I mean imagine just adding on another product to that that gave you a hundred dollars profit extra right? even something as simple as that right just something small you, you're buying it cheap you're adding a hundred bucks on top of it you're selling it um at no no extra cost to you like in terms of no extra marketing cost i mean that's an extra ten thousand ten thousand bucks a month in profit in your pocket right i mean that's 
you know, that's a, that's a pretty sweet thing just in and of itself. And I mean, that's not large quantities. You don't need large quantities to do that. Um, you don't need huge investments to do it. Uh, yeah, you've got to sort out the, the, the warehousing and all of that side of things, but that's once again, pretty, pretty simple. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think to look it's, for digital too, John, like, uh, like I oh, said yeah. earlier I with the that's logo, a... like if you can, as you're doing this market selection and thinking about the who, if you think you can go partner with an influencer or make this stuff yourself mm. and there's an opportunity for you to upsell digital content uh, or get people into a membership community, say like, you know, 10 bucks a month, 50 bucks a month and offer this digital stuff or, you know, run a Patreon like we're doing right now. Uh, like if you're selling, uh, if you have like an animal product store with doggy doors and crates and all that stuff, and you're just an absolute pet lover, why not, you know, create a, a pet lover podcast and go interview some of your customers or create a community, uh, through which you can offer discounts on other products. Or there's a million different ways that you can offer a digital form. And like, like I said, that's, uh, that's where all the profit margins at, or you could sell, you know, we're on video and I'm pointing at them, but you can sell the same supplements I sell behind me and just insert them into your business. Yep. 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 I mean, there, there are a lot of different ways you can take that for sure. I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's great. Uh, great. So think, if, 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 yeah. Once again, you, you don't need to do that in the beginning, but it's all about just when you're, when you're at that, uh, niche selection or whatever stage, it's just about seeing the potential, you know, you're not going to do it straight away. Um, but about before you make that final decision on your market, you know, do you think there's potential there in the future that you can bring that in? So I think we're running up against the hour, John, but there's a few other on here. Like how much does seasonal weigh for you? Do you care? Nah, not so much. I, I don't really. Um, I, I think, you know, most, I mean, and I've, I've looked at the analytics for hundreds of high ticket drop shipping sites by now, like literally um, every, every single site I've looked at, very few sites don't have a, a down period of the year where things are a bit slower. Some, yeah, it's more drastic than others. Like if you're selling snowblowers, right, you're, you're going to be pretty out of business in, in the summer, right? Comparatively to, you know, your up season. But, you know, at the same time, like, you know, if, if you're looking at the who, right, like let's say, you know, I'm all about, uh, serving people who are into skiing, right? Or snowboarding, right? Which is, which is a winter sport. Now, I'm just picking a really obvious example here. I'm not saying this is one that I would do, but what, what do snowboarders do when it's not snowing? Right? Like, are you, if, asking, if not, are you asking me? Do you want me no, to No, no, I'm not asking you, but this is the question <laughs> I would ask. Like, that's obviously going to be a seasonal niche. And I might be worried that in the summer, those people aren't going to be buying a brand new snowboard unless there's some lucky person who just follows the snow around the world all year. But, but what are they doing that's related to that interest in, in the summer? Right. And if you don't know, go I, ask I them. Bet you, yeah, yeah. But like I bet you they're doing, send out, a, yeah. send out a survey and ask them. Yeah. So they, they, they have a, they're going to have a complementary interest. Um, you know, so it's like many surfers, if it's, if there's no waves, they skate, for example. Right, because it's a, it's a similar skill, right? Um, and, and in fact, that's that's where skateboarding originated. Originated from surfers had no waves; they went out and started skateboarding. So I'm just saying, there's there's always a comp, there's often a complementary interest if if something's seasonal for your for your target customer. And so you just need to identify what that is, and then find a way to offer them products that appeal to that interest as well. Even if it's not even on the same site, you could have a sister site that you market the same people on 
just at different times of year, right? I mean, there's ways you can address that. But no, I mean, I like to know whether it is going to be seasonal or not just so that I can plan for that and have a way around that. But if I'm seeing a great market uh, with potential in all the other areas and it happens to be seasonal, well, I'm still going to do it, right? If I'm seeing a good opportunity, I'm still going to do it and I'm just going to say, well, at that part of year where things go down because of the season, I need to identify another way of making money. Right. So whether that's I just need to have another business opportunity happening or I need to find another way to sell to my target market, whatever. So, no, I mean, seasonality is not a deciding factor for me. I think that gets overhyped in other people's takes on, on niche selection, personally. Yeah, if you focus on the who, that's when you're going to start thinking outside the box, right? And so it's very easy, like John said, to have a snowboarding store, but maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should have a store for active people. Most of the people I know that love snowboarding in the winter, uh, they ride road bikes all summer long. Neither one of those sound appealing to me, uh, but they like, you know, that's the active lifestyle. Right. And so can you, can you speak to um, the active lifestyle or can you speak to a few different variations of that? Who uh, I know, like I like to build out the avatars on my businesses and it's not always the same. It's not always one person. Um, there's different variations of that one person. And so, um, again, without a concrete example, this one's uh, tough to explain, but I, I don't personally care about seasonal either. Is there anything else on this list that we that we missed that stands out to you, John? I know freight versus ground shipping is something um, I think we differ on. I, I could be wrong. Um, yeah, I, look, and, and I think that that one may be a little bit is going to be a, um, country specific as well. So in the US, dealing with freight is a lot easier than dealing with it in Australia. Just because you have a lot more options, it's it's actually cheaper. Your your population isn't as dispersed. Uh, and so those freight routes are a lot easier to navigate in the US than they are in Australia. So if you were doing it in Australia, I'd probably say you want to steer away from the, the heavier and bulkier items like on, on the upper end of that for sure because you're going to be limited to selling just in the, in the locations where there's um, you know, large groups of people, which once again, you could do, um, but it just adds a level of complexity in that if you've got other ideas that are, you know, that stack up better than, and, and that's the deciding factor, you're not going to go with the, with the super heavy thing. In the US, it's a, it's a little bit less of a worry because you have more options for dealing with that. There's more ways you can deal with that for sure. Um, and so I probably wouldn't worry so much about that other than just to be aware that that's something I need to look at. Like, how am I going to deal with that? Is there a way I can deal with that? That is different to my competition. Like, because I think as we've discussed before and you mentioned it to me, and I think in some ways you're right, is that those, those bulkier products um, often lead other people away from them because of that. So if you're somebody who's prepared to deal with that, right, maybe you've got a good opportunity because of that, that nature of the product so maybe you just need to find a way that you can support the cost of the shipping which might be that you get the big product and you bundle it with another product you got great profits on you know and you use the profits from that bundled product to pay for the shipping on the big product i mean you know like there's just ways i'm sure that you could do that and they both so, have pros and cons, right? Freight shipping yeah. can suck sometimes because things get damaged. It eats into your margins. Um, it just can honestly be a headache sometimes. But even the, the small stuff, sometimes 
like majority of the time, if it's small enough to ship ground, uh, it's not very expensive, uh, which ruins your margins in the first place. Uh, that shit gets stolen way more than it should in the United States off people's porches. Uh, and that's your problem. Uh, the supplier doesn't give a crap. Uh, that's your problem. Uh, and so like, there's just, there's pros and cons to both of those. I don't let it weigh in my decision very much, but I do know like your first time into freight, there's a lot to learn. Uh, there's a lot of processes you need to build in your business. And I've seen people who, you know, they won't, everyone's advertising at minimum advertise pricing. Right. And so they're afraid to add shipping in there. Uh, even though they have to charge you at the end. I've seen people I've personally bought from who don't tell you about the shipping and then send you an email the moment you buy and say, oh, by the way, if you want to take this off your truck yourself, cool, you're going to need two people. Otherwise, if you want LiftGate, send us $70 more. I bet that works really, really well with your customers. I bet there's no friction there at all. Uh, and so, like, <laughs> I, there's yeah, there's so many pros and cons here. That's the one that stood out to me. I, I thought you might have a, a more detailed take on it, but I, I, I don't know. None of these, like, none of these are, like, deal breakers for me other than, like, if I don't think I can no. compete in the areas I'm good at, which is, you know, I have a very key keyword focus lens whether that be through google ads or whether that be through seo um those are the only things that stand out to me as deal breakers yeah yeah look i like to make a note on on the shipping and what that looks like because like i say they're not deal breakers but if i'm comparing three ideas to each other and i'm going to be comparing and they're very close ideas often you'll do your niche niche selection you'll have three or four ideas and you're just like man how do i pick one they're so close together to me in my mind then it can come down to the finer points, right? Some of those finer points, like what's the shipping going to look like? How many suppliers did you find? And and that might just help you split three ideas that look very close on the bigger points, right? Because those finer points will just make your life a little bit easier. And that that could be the determining factor in how you make that that very final decision. You know how I'd figure it out? I would, uh, number one, I would say, which one do I actually like give a shit about? And then number two, yeah, sure. I would throw up a site, which... $13 and a half a day of your time, get up a site and a homepage. And that's all you need is a homepage that looks great. And then call suppliers and find out what are the margins in this niche? Is it even worth my time uh, to figure this out? If you don't want to do that, if you want to go even a step further, call your competitors and just be like, ah, oh, you know, I think I might buy today if I could get a discount and figure out who's going to give the better, better discounts. Cause that's where the better margins are at. Um, Honestly, that's what I would care about. Do I give a shit and where are the margins? Because trust me, everything, all that matters, like revenue is vanity, profits are sanity, says Mike Jackness, and he's fucking right. You can sell a million dollars and make zero. Brian Angel and I did this. He was on my podcast. We, we sold a million dollars in standing desk and made zero fucking dollars, uh, except the 2% back on our credit card. Yippee fucking skippy. It sucked. You don't want to do that. You don't want to sell $200 products that have 25% margins on it and shipping eats it up and it costs you, you know, $7 a click to get customers. Um, it's not fun. And so I care very much about margin. And um, there's a very few unicorns in the drop shipping world that are up in that 50, 60% range, but they're fucking there and go find them. Cause they are fun. They're really fun. When you sell a $5,000 item and you made 3000 on that. Oh, dude, I, I, uh, my team signed up a supplier for a client just yesterday. Actually, I, I got the, got the email there on it with the price list and yeah, high ticket products like between, a thousand and like I think they went up to about ten thousand, and yeah, it was fifty percent margin. I just looked at it. I was like, "Wow, I'm gonna need awesome. to know. I'm gonna need to know this one after the college." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, like and and super simple product, like super simple, not small, but like just it, it's just like a product you put down and you use it. It's like no moving parts, nothing. It's all just super simple. Yeah, I was like, yeah. now I definitely need to know about this. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to the Dropship Podcast. You can find all the show notes for this episode at dropshippodcast.com. And if you're ready to take the next step in your dropshipping journey, we invite you to join us inside Dropship Breakthrough, where John and I will walk you through step-by-step in starting your own high-ticket dropshipping e-commerce business. But that's not all. Dropship Breakthrough will also teach you everything you'll need to know to grow your business and take it to the next level. So head over to dropshipbreakthrough.com and sign up for our free training that will help you take the first steps towards building and growing your own profitable high-ticket dropshipping business.